Amen. You can grab a seat. If you have a uh, middle school age kiddo that wants to be a part of our um, Bible study time and study time, they meet right back here uh, out this door. I think Ms. Vanna Bolter is going to be teaching this morning, and so we'd love for your uh, kiddo to be a part of that if they feel, feel comfortable doing that. Um, again, if you slipped in after announcements, uh, water's back on, so if you need to use the restrooms, you're welcome to it. Uh, I think Phil got up here for us and made coffee, so that's out there as well. So uh, it's a Festivus miracle. We're excited about that. It's back on. Everything is good. So um, I know that a lot of you are still having problems at your homes. I've heard a lot of crazy stories about pipes that have bursted and things that are going wrong. If you will continue just to let us know, we'd love to help any way that we can. If you have a neighbor or somebody in need or you guys are in need, let us know what that need may be, and, and the church will do everything we can to, uh, to help out. So we've got lots of resources and people available and things available, and so please keep us posted and let us know so that we can kind of all be in this uh, together. I think we're on the, the home stretch now, and everything's easier, but if you do have things that pop up, please let us know. We've kind of been taking care of those or helping out as we could and as people have let us know. So we wrapped up a few weeks ago before we closed for the snowstorm, uh, a little three-week series, um, just kind of wherever idea of wherever you lead, Lord. The idea was as we talked about stewardship and moved into 2021 and how 2020 kind of threw our, our dreams and plans in terms of how we made them uh, for a, a loop, our intention was to look at 2021 and just say, Lord, wherever you lead, whatever that means, whatever direction you take us, like we will follow. We use Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 as kind of our mantra for that movement. It's basically saying, Lord, we will trust in you. We will rely on you. We will lean not on understanding. Like you become our all in all. And we kind of unpack what that looked like and basically declared moving forward, both as a church and as individuals and families, to say, Lord, wherever you lead us this year, it, wherever that is, we choose to follow you and we choose to do it with joy and with great obedience. And we kind of unpacked all that. Um, we're going to be starting a new series up here in the next coming month that's going to take us through a, a journey through the book of Hebrews, which I'll be explaining a little bit more and talking through over the next couple of weeks. But, but until we get there, we're going to be just kind of looking at a few things the Lord has been raising up in my life or in Brandon's life as we unpack some things that we're dealing with, talking through and working through as we kind of normally do as we preach about the things that the Lord is sort of teaching our heart. And one of those things that popped up in me is about a week and a half ago as I was spending some time in the Gospel of Luke. Luke, God was recalling in me this sort of this reminder in my heart of the sort of costly nature of following Jesus, but, but the beautiful nature that that cost calls us to. And sometimes we have this sort of paradox that basically says, yes, we know that following Jesus is difficult and challenging, and it calls us to this place of self-death and self-denial. But attached to that beautiful paradox is this idea that it's the most rewarding, most glorious, most amazing call of, the, of our lives. And so how those two things join, the costly nature of following Jesus and the beautiful nature of following Jesus is this holy mystery that's really powerful. And, and Jesus has this interaction with the disciples in Luke chapter 9 in which they make a declaration and Jesus pauses for a moment and wants them to understand exactly what they're declaring. Because what they're declaring is ultimately costly but it's incredibly beautiful. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn to Luke chapter 9. We're going to be in there for just a little bit this morning. Nothing um, giant. Uh, we kind of prepared as if we didn't have water, but we've got it. So, um, But we're going to be in Luke chapter 9, and we're going to start in verse 20. Oh, we'll start in verse 18, and we'll go down through 25, and we'll kind of explore this 
this intense, beautifully call to obedience and self-denial and what it means to truly put our life in the footsteps of Christ and go where he leads. So if you got that open, let's take a moment, let's pray, and then we'll work through it together. Lord, I do thank you for the opportunity to gather in this place. I thank you for the folks that were able to make it. Lord, I continue to pray for those that can't, whether it was because we don't have water, whether it's still COVID-related issues or snow-related issues or whatever it may be. Um, Lord, we remember those that can't be with us this morning. Lord, we pray that you would continue to let us be a community that, that cares and that understands and that, Lord, wants to reach people with the gospel. Lord, these are, uh, are beautifully trying days. Um, they call us into a place of total reliance and trust. And for a lot of us, that's a really, myself included, it's a really difficult place to be. Um, Lord, we tend to want to rely on ourselves. We tend to want to rely on what we see and what we understand, but truly trusting and relying on you is hard. Worry and anxiety play a very real role in our life, and uh, you call us to put those things to death. And so, Lord, we're going to see this morning this encounter that Jesus has with the disciples where he calls them to something beautiful, something beautifully challenging and radical that I believe you're calling us all to. And what we do with the question uh, that Jesus asks his disciples is of the utmost importance. So take a moment right where you sit and just ask the Lord to teach your heart this morning. Just ask him to teach you something. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't have to be the same thing for every person. Just ask the Lord to teach you personally. Take a moment and pray for someone beside you or behind you, in front of you. Just pray for other people. We want to be a church that's continually driven Uh, to pray for the people around us. Everything that unfolds here on Sunday morning is not about you. Ask God to move in them, even if you don't know their name, or maybe it's your spouse or your, your kiddo. Just pray that God would move in them. Be in the habit of praying for other people. Lord, we turn our entire morning over to you. You are God eternal. And so, Lord, we ask that you would teach our hearts, that you would instruct us, and that you would confront us with the same question that Jesus is going to confront these disciples with. And our response is, well, it's incredibly important, and it's beautifully challenging all at the same time. And so, Lord, we ask that you would hear our cry and that you would teach us this morning through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what unfolds here in Luke chapter 9 is actually a really powerful thing because it's the first time that we're going to see Jesus in Scripture really clearly kind of explain what's got to unfold with his life. And it's also the first time we're going to hear the disciples kind of clearly articulate that they're beginning to kind of understand who Jesus truly is. And when they put those things together, there's a really powerful call that Jesus attaches to it. And this is what we see. Verse 18 in chapter 9, once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they replied, some say you are John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. Jesus strictly warned him not to tell this to anyone, and he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things, and must be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Then he said to all of them, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet lose or forfeit his very self? So Jesus has this moment, uh, actually 
three of the Gospels record this moment where he's off sort of praying by himself, but he's really with the disciples. They were together all the time. There's several instances we actually recall Jesus or uh, record Jesus out there on the side of a mountain praying by himself. But at this point in time, Jesus is having this sort of solitary moment and the disciples are with him and he's praying and they're just spending time together. And he asks them this question, knowing full well the answer. He says, who do people say that I am? Because there's been wild rumors flying around about who this Jesus was, right? Uh, everybody's got an opinion. No one really knows what to do with him because he's doing things that are unexplainable. He's doing things that are defying all human standards. And so there's rumors flying around that he was either a, a myth or a legend or that he was a rabbi or that he was a, uh, you know, um, one of the, the you know, uh, prophets that was sort of reincarnated. There's all kinds of things flying around. And so Jesus looks at the disciples and he says to them, he goes, what are some of the things that you're hearing? Who are people saying that I am? And, and they spoke up. They said, well, you know, some people think you're John the Baptist. You know, because he was kind of doing the same thing. Off in the wilderness, you know, doing a little bit of this isolation deal, teaching the coming of the kingdom of God. Like, you could see how maybe some people would thought, isn't Jesus the same guy that's out there doing those things? Some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah, because Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind of fire, and, and maybe Jesus has reappeared, and he's got the same sort of kind of pronouncement of the coming of the kingdom of God. Maybe it's Elijah. And they said, no, some say it's, you're one of the prophets from a long time ago. Like, maybe you're the, you're the mouthpiece of God like we used to have. Jesus hears those things. Of course, he's heard him as well. And he looks at the disciples and he said, okay, fine, but what about you? You that have spent time with me, who do you say that I am? Which, of course, what I believe to be one of the most important questions will ever be asked is, who do you say Jesus is? But he says, who do you say I am? And then, of course, we have Peter, who replies immediately and quickly. He's the first to speak, often the mouthpiece for the group, often says the things that he says without thinking them through, but he basically says, what about you? And Peter says, you are the Christ of God. Matthew records him saying, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Which is basically this declaration of sorts. Peter, for the first time, articulates something that they were all kind of aware of, but not fully sure what to do with. He says, you are the Christ. Remember, the Christ is a messianic title. It's a proclamation of Jesus. It wasn't his last name, right? Christ is a title. It's a messianic proclamation. And so he's saying, you are the one, the foretold one, the one that was to come. You are the Christ. And Matthew records him even as saying, the son of the living God, meaning that not only are you the Messiah that was foretold, as well, you are the actual and true Son of God. Now, in Matthew, Peter actually, or Jesus actually says to Peter, Man, Peter, that's true. And the only reason you know this is because God has given you that truth, He has revealed that to you. And then He warns them strictly not to say anything. And he does this for a couple of reasons. One, because Jesus has this perfect timing that's going to unfold with his earthly ministry. And also because this declaration was a death sentence. It was a death sentence for the disciples. When they proclaimed that Jesus was the Christ and the Son of God, they are actually proclaiming a blasphemous statement to the Pharisees. Because they are claiming that the human of Jesus is this divine God. And that's ultimately what's going to lead the disciples and Jesus himself to his death. It's not that he was doing miracles. It was his attachment and proclamation that he and God were the same. That's what made the Pharisees incensed. That's what would ultimately lead the disciples to their own death. All of them 
was this proclamation that Jesus was in fact God. And so he warns them not to say anything. Number one, his time has not come. But number two, it was a death sentence. And so by Peter articulating this truth out loud, essentially, he was signing his own death certificate. And he says, warns him strictly not to tell this to anyone. And then he says this, for the first time clearly, Jesus says, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed, and on the third day he'll be raised from the dead. So the first time we see Jesus with this clear articulation of what is going to unfold, and we know the disciples still don't get it. They can't put all these pieces together yet. But Jesus clearly articulates it. And then he attaches this incredible thing to it, right? He says that if you're going to come after me, if you're going to believe Peter what you just said, then there's some things that you have to understand about what it means to follow me. And this is where we're going to kind of get into our little bit of our text this morning. It's a really radical proclamation, and it's an important question. And Jesus asks perhaps the most important question that ever will be asked of you, which is, who do you say that I am? I know what people are saying. He's a great teacher. He's a traveling rabbi. He's, you know, we should follow his moral this or his moral that or whatever they're saying about Jesus fine. But when he narrows that question down, he says, who do you say I am? It truly is the most important question that any of us will ever be asked. Because what we do with the person of Jesus Christ not only determines our eternal destination, our eternal destiny, but it determines how we live here on earth. It has an eternal impact that begins in this moment, and that is, who do you say that Jesus is? If he's just some moral teacher, just some guy that we're supposed to follow his words, that should guide and direct our life, fine. That is going to lead our life in a certain direction. But if we make the proclamation that Peter makes, which is, you are Christ, the Son of the living God, there is a certain proclamation that that gets attached to with our behavior, which means at some point in time, my life has to match the proclamation of my lips. And this is what Peter does, and this is what Jesus responds with. He says, great, Peter, now that you said that, some things about following me are going to be called into your life. And this is where most of us really begin to struggle with what it means to truly follow Jesus. Because we want to make the declaration. In fact, without overstepping my boundaries, I would think that most of us in this room probably are okay with the uh, proclamation that Jesus is Lord, that he is Messiah, that he is the Son of the living God. Most of us are probably comfortable with that. Now, there may be a handful of us that are wrestling with that, or maybe we're not quite sure, but the reality is that the majority of us are here, especially after receiving an email saying, hey, church doesn't have any water, but we're coming anyway for a certain reason. So we're probably okay with the statement. It means you didn't come for the light show or, you know, whatever. We're okay with the statement. But Jesus follows that statement up with this powerful, costly statement that essentially is going to call us into this place of beautiful obedience. And this is what he says to them. He says, okay, Peter, and all of you sitting here, he says, listen, if that's true, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, we'll find it. So he says, listen, if you're going to make this proclamation, at some point in time, your life is going to have to move in the same direction as your mouth. The same direction that you've just proclaimed that I am the Son of God, your life is going to have to follow because that proclamation is incredibly costly. You cannot proclaim Jesus as Lord, as Messiah, and not have it cost your life something. 
following Jesus is incredibly costly. It costs us several things. And Jesus actually lists them out. He says, if you are going to follow me, if you are going to come after me, you are going to have to deny yourself. In other words, following Jesus goes against our very nature. It goes against everything that we're drawn to because most of us are all drawn because of our sinful nature to self-perseverance. We want to maintain and protect ourselves at all times. We are in most of our life for what is best for me. We've been trained that way and taught that way. and We are taught to look out for myself because if no one, no one else will do it, I need to protect myself and therefore I am at the center of my own universe. Now, as much as we like to say we're a part of a bigger community in this global humanity thing, the truth is we're all just about ourselves. At times we care for other people, but really when it boils down to it, we're just driven by our internal sinful nature that's driven by me. Self-protection, self-maintenance, projection of self on others that just makes them think things are good or fine or the best possible version of myself I want people to see we project. It's all about me. And Jesus makes this comment to Peter. He says, Peter, look, all of you disciples, look, if you're going to come after me, you must be willing to deny yourself. It's actually the core concept of the gospel. I talk about it pretty much every Sunday, and that's death to self. The core concept of the gospel is dying to you. It's essentially saying that whatever my desires, my intentions, what's best for me, I want to die to that to say, Jesus, where you lead, I will go. What you want, I will be. The representation I want is not of me, but I want to be a representation of you. And so when we die, we are reborn in Christ into something new by this incredible beauty of the Holy Spirit. Not something that we do, something that God does for us, but a decision that we have to make to basically say, I choose Jesus. And he says, if you are going to proclaim this truth that you, I am the son of the living God, you are going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to be at a place where you say, God, not what I want, but you want. And then he goes on to say, you are going to have to take that one step further and you're going to have to, on a daily basis, take up your cross and follow me, right? We've heard this verse. Well, what does Jesus mean? To daily take up your cross and follow me. For a lot of us, that statement has become a kind of a, a statement about this carrying a burden of some kind, right? Well, that's just your cross to bear. Meaning that I've got some kind of something in my life that I just have to, to lug around and carry that cross and this sort of just what I'm going to have to deal with. But that's not what Jesus is talking about at all. And those days and the idea of the cross was not this thing that we have today where we recognize it as this empty, vindicated, incredible symbol of what God did when, he when Jesus was crucified and God raised him from the dead. We celebrate this, but 2,000 years ago, this cross meant one thing, and it was the most torturous, humiliating device of death imaginable. It was not a symbol for all of Christianity. It wasn't something someone would wear around their neck. To take up a cross meant that I most literally am going to carry the instrument of my own death. We know that Jesus himself did that. Months later, Jesus would carry a portion of his own cross to Golgotha. He would actually fall. Simon of Cyrene would have to help him. But that's what they would did to, did to prisoners. They would make them carry the tool of their death. And so when Jesus says that you're going to have to deny yourself, take up the tool of your own death on a daily basis and follow me, he is not talking about something that's comfortable. He's talking about the idea that daily we must be at a place where I choose to die to myself 
and say yes to Jesus. And that may lead me to a couple of places. It may lead me to a place where I have to emotionally die to me. And at times it may lead me to a place where I may, and the disciples were there, have to physically die for Jesus. Now, none of us in this room most likely will ever face that call, truthfully. But for the disciples and a lot of those folks in the New Testament where persecution was so deeply real in their life, was actually a very real proclamation, which is, am I willing to follow Jesus in obedience to death? Because Jesus says, essentially, if you proclaim that I'm Christ, this is where you will go. You will ultimately end up dying for that. But most of us have turned our Christian experience into this sort of social experience where we're willing to follow just enough to not quite have to fully get radical or take our faith too literal. We're willing to serve just so much as I feel good about myself, but not so much that it actually costs me anything. We're willing to give, but not to the point where it hurts just enough out of our abundance. We're willing to apply scripture to our life, but those verses that are hard or challenging, we label them as outdated or difficult, or maybe they don't apply. And we live in this place where we want to follow Jesus to the places where it begins to get challenging and costly. And we want to dip our toe over the edge to say that we've done it, but we do not want to live there. But the disciples, it was an all or nothing game. When they proclaimed Jesus as Lord, it meant most literally they would carry their own device of death, whether it be a cross or whether it be Stephen stoned to death. The reality is the proclamation of Christ was essentially a death sentence. Now, for us, of course, living in the place that we live, is that's not necessarily going to be our reality. Now, there are places all over the world where that still is a reality. But the truth is, is that it's still a death sentence of sorts because we have to be at a place that says, Jesus, whatever you want. If you lead me across the room or if you lead me across the world, I will go. I need to put to death the sin in my life that is corrupting me from being a true follower of you. The way that I've chosen myself, the things that I put into my body, the way that I let anger or worry or resentment flood my soul. Like you are calling me to die to all of those things to truly trust who you are. And it's a daily death. It's not just something that happens once, like when we're justified. I surrender my life to Jesus. I'm saved. I can count on that. Following Jesus, the sanctification part of that justification, is actually a lifelong daily walk of death to self. Meaning this morning, you have to wake up and say, Lord, I am going to be driven to do something today that protects me. I'm going to be driven to do something today that wants sanity for me, that wants this thing to work out for me. And I want to die to that truth because I want to glorify you, which means today I'm going to daily deny myself and I'm going to take up whatever tool of death you instruct me to. Death to self, death to sin, death to anger, death to worry, death to all of those things. Even if it leads me to the ultimate place, today I decide I choose you. Not because I can do it on my own power, right? Jesus even says to Peter, Peter, this isn't on you. This is because God has shown this to you. This is not you enabled. This is the graciousness of God giving us his Holy Spirit. We wake up and we say, God, I need your spirit to lead me, to help me die to myself today. Just because yesterday went well or just because yesterday was awful doesn't mean I'm written into that story today. He says, so deny yourself, take up your cross daily. And then he says, of course, and follow me. So if we're going to come after Jesus, if we're going to make that proclamation, this denial of self, this daily walking into obedience, and and, and it sounds gruesome and costly, but really the truth is, and it's incredibly beautiful. 
Once you've put your hand at the plow of following Jesus, you don't want to live any other way. And he says, and then you can follow me. And of course, we have this incredible picture of what following Jesus looks like, right? He goes in the places that most of us would never go. He goes to places where cultural humanity never put its feet. He loved on people and loved people in a way that you and I will never be fully accustomed to. But he calls us to. He loves in this incredible way. And he loved the Father so much that in this place of total obedience, he would walk the road to Golgotha, the place of the skull, to die for you and for me. And when I begin to think about what Jesus did and what he calls us to as follower of Christ, I begin to realize how easy my Christian life is. Or let me put it this way, how easy I've made my Christian life. I fit into the middle of that cultural paradigm that just says, I want enough of Jesus to feel like I've given my heart to him without actually having to turn over everything in my life. That's where I want to live. I, I cling to my worry and anger and anxiety like they're some kind of nighttime blanket to soothe my soul. And the reality is Jesus prying them out of my hands and I won't release them because I'm afraid of what life looks like when I fully give everything to Jesus. My financial world, my marital world, my children, all of those pieces, releasing them from my hands and following him is petrifying. So Jesus says this. He says, this is the paradigm, but let me tell you how the paradigm works out incredibly well. And he says, this is why following me is so beautiful. He says, for what good is it, right? If you gain the whole world, you can have everything this world says, everything it offers, what you can accrue and you can store and you can have and you can have all the labels and all the friends and all the things and all the pieces and lose your life. He said, or you can essentially find your life both abundantly and forever by simply following me. John actually equates it this way. He says, he who loves his life in this world will lose it, but whoever hates his life in this world will gain it. And it doesn't talk, he's not talking about self-hatred. He's talking about the incredible paradox between love and hate and what it means to follow Jesus. Meaning, I don't want what this world says is valuable. Because I know that if I choose those things, it leads me to a place of death. But I want what Jesus says is valuable. I want to so oppositely gear my heart where the things that the world says I need, I know I don't. That I choose to love my life in Christ. Even if that means I have to go without sometimes. Even if that means I sacrifice the things that the world tells me I should have. Which is self-reliance, stability, um, you know, this sort of picture of me. I choose Jesus. And this is what Jesus is basically telling the disciples. He's saying, you can very easily say that I am Jesus, the Son of God. But if you're going to follow me, it means something entirely different. You can walk in here every Sunday morning and you can proclaim that you love Jesus and you can proclaim that he's the Son of God. But if you're actually going to follow him and become a disciple, it's entirely costly. And it's got this beautiful cost to it. It's a cost that calls you to die to the things in your life that are that are essentially deteriorating our soul. It's not a call to give up the things that are wonderful. It's a call to die to the things that are killing us. A lot of times we think the costly nature of following Jesus means he wants to rid your life of all the good things. He actually wants to rid your life of the things that are destroying you from the inside out. Fear, anxiety, worry, self-reliance, 
self-understanding, understanding in your own mind about how things work and unfold, God says, I'm so much bigger than that. Do you not think that I can cover and take care of and provide in a way that is more imaginable than anything else you could ever dream of? So quit holding so tightly to your financial world and fears. Quit holding so tightly to your little sinful corner of your heart that doesn't want to let God into that one place. Quit holding so tightly to your own anxiety and worry and die to you and let me. And he says, when you do that, you will gain the whole true picture of life. This table that we celebrate is really that picture. It's what Jesus said, look, I will die to give you my life. And his life was this perfect picture of total and true obedience. In fact, it is the picture that we have as followers of Christ of what this obedience looks like. It's not like it wasn't modeled. Jesus modeled it perfectly, even to death. That Jesus would take up his cross, his very instrument of death, when, Je- when God said and called him, he would walk the way that the Father led so that you and I might have life. To follow Jesus means that we put our feet in the same places that he put his feet. And a lot of times we think that means things like mission. We go to the places that Jesus went, and that is true. But those footsteps also lead to a place of self-denial and death. They lead to a place of total obedience to the Father. That wherever he may lead, we go. That's the model and picture that Jesus laid out. And this table is this gift that God has given all of us as believers to what that life that follows Jesus truly looks like that it leads us to a place of self-denial, death to self, but complete and total surrender to a God who has our life in his hands. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, the very night that all would run away on account of him after they had had their meal, and he was reclining at the table with the disciples, he took a loaf of bread and he gave thanks, and he said, this bread is my body and it is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, after he took the bread, he took the cup, and he said, This cup is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. This is the new covenant poured out for you, that as long as we take of this bread and this cup, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. Once a month here in our community, we celebrate communion as a way of reminding ourselves that God has done exactly what he said he would do. By joining ourselves to other believers, this is the table that connects us with other denominations and faiths and places. It is not a table that is set apart for a certain church or particular people group. It is open to all those who profess faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And it connects us with believers across space and time. And it also is this holy mystery, this thing that Jesus calls us to, commands us to, to celebrate together as a community. And he tells us not to take it lightly. In fact, Paul himself says that before we take of this meal, we should examine the inner workings of our own hearts. That this is not a habit of worship, but it's something in this holy, mysterious, incredible way that we're called to take in deep seriousness as we contemplate and remember what Christ has done and what he's calling us to. That we are free and alive in Christ because he took the sin of the world and died, and then God raised him from the dead so that we might have true, real, beautiful, and incredible life that begins with denial of self and finishes with this incredible, beautiful obedience and a life that is truly and fully alive. This morning, we're taking communion by means of 
COVID awareness. And so uh, we have prepackaged bread and juice up here. We encourage you as Don, our worship team, lead us in worship to come down as you feel led and ready. Take a cup of the bread and the juice, return to your seat, and then take communion on your own. And then we will remain standing and close our time in worship. But as we prepare to do that, let's take a moment and let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for the eternal nature of who you are, um, for how you continue to constantly provide for us in incredibly powerful and true ways. These simple calls that many of us have heard time and time again that come out of Luke, right? Must deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me, Lord. I want them to have power and significance in our life that we would truly understand what it means to deny ourselves. Not about me. But to take up my own instrument of death, meaning I want to die to my fear, I want to die to my anxiety, my worry, I want to die to that part of my soul that wants so tightly to cling to me that's afraid. Um, and I want to put my feet in a place that truly follow you. Out of those places of fear, out of those places of anger, out of that place of responding out of my own emotion and into a place that just says, I want true life. I want to be that for my husband or my wife or my children. I want to be that for my coworkers. I want to be a source of light and life that is an expression of a person that is fully in love with Jesus. So Lord, as we celebrate this table together, remind us of those truths of what it means to truly die to ourself and say yes to a God who would give us everything. We ask this in the risen and holy and perfect name of Jesus. Amen. As Don and our worship team uh, lead us in worship and we close our time, come forward, share in this meal together, and then we will close out in worship this morning.